Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! my beautiful screamers and it's halloween y'all so welcome to episode 170 to another episode of scream queens the podcast where horror gets bent and when i say gets bent i mean it gets gay and i'm gonna get political about that not this episode because it's not the time or place for that but i'm just saying if you don't know what get bent means it means get gay okay okay I can't possibly be more excited because it's a Halloween episode! Yay! Trick or treat, motherfucker! And we are going to celebrate tonight with a very special episode where I'm going to take a look at one of my favorite movies of all time because the marathon is over. No more movies about Halloween or Halloween attractions. I'm done with them. Daddy's burnt out. We're going to be taking a look at The Sentinel from 1977, and I have two very special guests with me, Michael and Libby Collins. You are going to love them. I love them very much. I kiss them. I squeeze them. But before we do any of that, why don't we listen to a promo for another fabulous podcast that's not this fabulous podcast. So it's not going to be as fabulous, but it's still pretty damn fabulous. Okay? Fabulous! One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. I'm the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm pleased. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios. So hi, everybody. Welcome back to another show. It's great to have you all here with me again on this most spooky of spooky days, Halloween. If you're new, welcome. Welcome. Let me introduce myself. My name is Patrick. I'm going to be your host for the next uh, maybe just under two hours or so. And we're going to be taking a look at the wild and weird world of horror. But it's seen through my very, very, very gay little eyes. So you might see your favorite movies or not so favorite movies in a completely different way after listening to me. Boy, is Daddy burnt out. Daddy's not been sleeping well. Because Daddy's having problems with his insurance company, which is controlling his supplies for a CPAP machine. But that is a rant for another day, because we're going to keep it positive today. Because we're going to have enough problems warning off vampires and werewolves and all other kinds of things all day long. So why, 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 why bog down with my personal problems? Am I right? Of course I'm right. Of course I'm right. Although I do have to complain this Halloween on a Monday business has got to go. 
because let's face it, we all shot our loads this weekend, right? Either literally or figuratively, we've all shot our Halloween loads by this point. I think Halloween should be like Thanksgiving. That it should be the last Saturday of the month, but then I know there's religious aspects for some people, so I understand, I understand. But I want what I want, and that's just the way it is. Before we get going, I want to say a few things. Uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but since by the time the next episode airs, we'll have a new president-elect, and this does have some bearing on that, is that we caught the local cat poisoner. Well, not we, but the police caught the local cat poisoner. If you're listening for a while, you know that since I moved in here six years ago, there has been a rash of cat poisonings in the neighborhood. Well over 20. There's a a business on... um, Well, I was trying to think of the name of the street, but it doesn't really matter to you. But anyway, they have a window that is dedicated to all the cats that have died. And there's many, many pictures of beautiful little animals that died for no reason, including our local bodega cat, which is not cool. Leave the bodega cats alone. They are a cat at work. Okay? They're doing a job, man. But it's that guy who I thought it was. It's the guy across the street from me, the guy who runs the condo building across the street. This is the crazy dude who's got American flags all over the building. Like There's over 30 of them that I can count, including a nice 20-foot one that's all lit up over the dumpster. And the guy who puts out the obscene amount of inflatable Halloween decorations and installs those lights that light up the whole street so that it's like daytime in my bedroom at any given time of the night. And I hate him anyway. The guy who has the mural of President Obama with a flag up his ass, painted in the lobby of his building. The guy who in Bradford looked at an apartment there just for shits and giggles when he mentioned that he had a cat, the guy lost his mind, cursed him out, and threw him out of the building, screaming how much he hated cats. So I figured it was him. But they let him off with a slap on the wrist and a fine. And that makes me really sad. What does this have to do with the election pageant? Well, I'm going to tell you. This guy, in addition to you know scarring the neighborhood with his bright lights and dead cats and obscene amounts of Christmas decorations that are loud and play music all night long, he has taken to putting up Trump bumper stickers everywhere. On public property, on private property, on government property, on people's cars that aren't his on the windows of buildings where he does not live. Really weird Trump bumper stickers. It'll be like, Bangladeshi for Trump. Jews for Trump. And I'm sorry if I'm going to offend you when I say this, but I'm going to say this, niggers for Trump. Yeah, that's stuck on a mailbox right outside of my house that I have to look at every day. And it's one of those things, this kind of weird disregard for everybody around him that I just... Listen, I, if you're if you're if you're if you're still supporting Trump at this point, I don't know why you're here. This is a gay show. The man doesn't like me, and his running mate wants to send me to conversion therapy. I don't know why you're here. I mean, you're welcome to hang out, but I'm just questioning what it is you're doing here, and. 
if you're not planning on voting this season, I, I this this year, I, I don't know what you're doing here. Because this election does directly affect me and the people that I love and the people in my umbrella family of the LGBT community. So our lives and our personal uh, liberties are at stake and I will not have it. I will not have it. And that's that's really all I got to say about that at this point. Sorry for the tangent. That was kind of a bummer. But, you know, I just wanted to say hooray that maybe the spate of murdered cats will stop although I don't think they will this guy's not going to stop doing anything he doesn't care about anybody but himself the perfect Trump supporter anyway I just brought myself down with that one what a bummer one more bit of local news that I want to give you because it baffles me every time it happens and it happens every year it's happened every year since I've moved to this neighborhood of Queens is that the first thing that the town does on Halloween morning is hang the Christmas decorations. The town Christmas decorations. What are you doing? Why can't you wait one more day? Let this holiday be over before you bring in the Yule. Take a breath. Get it together, Sunnyside. What the fuck? I don't want to be trick-or-treating under your joyous Noel bullshit. It ain't right, it ain't fair, and it ain't normal, and it is not spooky. You were bringing down my spooky sunny side. Boo. And that wasn't a ghost boo. That's like an angry audience member. Boo. Boo. You know what I should do? You know what we should haunt you? Whoever's idea it is to do this, whoever has this on the goddamn town bill, we should haunt them. We should all get together and haunt them, Brady Bunch style, get some sheets and cut holes in them and, you know, put some, you know, cellophane paper on a hanger in the attic and say, let me out. I need air. I must have air. Because that's what the Bradys did, and that's what I... Therefore, it is the best possible course of action in this sort of a situation. Daddy's delirious. So the Halloween season was pretty cool here. I got to go to a few haunted houses. I did a review, a blog post on the uninvited colon awakening in Harlem, which is still running tonight, and it's a fabulous house. If you're in the New York area and you're hearing this in time, get your butt over there. Use code GETSCARED25 at checkout to save 25% on your ticket. I got to have a date with a gay zombie. I went to another experience called Nyctophobia with listener Vanessa. Went to a cool Halloween party with Fozzie Bear, if you know him. He used to be on the... uh, the podcast podcast he's done several other shows he calls into night of living podcast all the time he's an internet celebrity all on his own and so it was a good 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 halloween season for me and here we are on monday and daddy's burnt the fuck out his daddy ran a marathon and all of us as well daddy did a podcasting marathon this month i've put out an obscene amount of shows in addition to the marathon and while it's been fun and it's been great i'm physically beaten to a pulp i'm just i'm I'm so tired of sitting in this chair looking at the screen not tired of talking to you though it's the physicalities of podcasting that have been a complete drag and not the fun kind of drag like the lame kind of drag but we did it 
we're done. We've gotten through. And now it's time to kick back and relax and do other things. I'm not sure what else there is to say at this point. we got a long show ahead of us. It's a long interview. It's a fun one. Libby and Michael are unlike most of my guests. They have a different energy, and I think that's super fun. Uh, that's what I have to say. I do have to apologize. There is a problem again with the sound, but it's not Skype's fault. It's not any of the recording thing's fault. Uh, it Well, I did not check to see how they were going to be communicating to me like if they had headset mics or a desktop mic or anything like that they didn't so they were using their laptop mic which is not ideal so there's a big drop in sound quality and skype was trying to adjust on my end so there's a bit of dropout every now and then but it's still completely listening listening listenable is what i'm trying to say and still tons of fun and what's fun now that i'm editing it i realized that they got dinner delivered in the middle of our interview and so they're eating and I know they were drinking wine so it's fun to listen to them get drunk slowly during the course of the episode which I didn't notice as much at the time but I sure notice now and I'm totally jealous because daddy did not have booze for himself for this particular segment uh, segment, I'm going to stop my babbling season then with a guy who's terrified of horror movies I have a little musical treat from everybody's favorite guest Doug Shapiro he's singing a song called Zombies or People from Halloween Hullabaloo which you might remember I had a special interview with the writer composer producer awesome lady Jennifer Weingartner on episode 69 of this show way back in the days so step back relax don't get eaten by Doug and his zombie friend and enjoy the sentinel and don't be late for Jezebel's birthday party if your flesh is decomposing and you're smelling really bad cerebellum and you've just devoured your dad if you think you might be running but you don't have leprosy then you might be a zombie and that's a guarantee if you're always really hungry for the taste of human flesh If the feeling that you're feeling is feeling not so fresh If you're moving really slowly but your friends all run away Then you might be a zombie and buddy that's okay Zombies are people, bones and blood and veins You don't have to feel guilty just cause you If your neighbors are standoffish and your friends turned off their phones If the sentences you're speaking consist of grunts and groans If your mailman is complaining that you're always really rude Then you might be a zombie Brains Oh crap, you are a zombie I'm talking to a zombie and I am It's one of the nicer tree line blocks in New York, and only 20 minutes from the center of town. Oh, and just around the corner, there's a supermarket and the cleaners. That's 
Father Harren in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? There is danger everywhere. There is evil. Evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Howard, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorne becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Howard dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. So when it's Halloween and you're going to a house that's filled with demons, well, you don't want to go alone, do you? Well, hell no. I've got two very special people who are going to be my guests into the Brooklyn Heights nightmare. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you the couple that they are such hard players that they had to join their own club. And they are so cool that they might be international spies Possibly even paid assassins. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Michael and Libby Collins! I should say that that, that introduction terrified me so much that I'm not sure I can speak during this discussion, but I mean... I'm honored. Yeah. Well, and that's Michael. But mm-hmm. this is Libby saying, how the hell did you know we were international spies? Mm-hmm. I am observant. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But not necessarily, you know, conservative. <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys are like 1960s brand of international spies. Ooh, I like that. God bless, yeah. You guys are like the Avengers. And listeners... See, if you follow, which I'm sure you don't because you don't know them, but the two of you who are listening that might actually know Michael and Libby, you will know that their Facebook feed is filled with pictures of them that just look like they are either out of a spy movie, a Wes Anderson movie, or a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
We are dangerous. Yes. I accept all three of those uh, descriptions. Mm -hmm. Dangerous and sexy. Mm. Uh, Not in that order, but yeah, yeah. Don't tell me how to feel about you. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm thrilled to have you both here. Now, listeners, I know Libby because we've done a couple of shows together. And we have been listening for a long time. We work together with former guests of the show, the fabulous, the delicious, the lovely Miss Ann Bobby, star of Night Breed. Oh, Ann Bobby. Yes, my God. Love. We worked on a stage ring of a show that she wrote because she is like this insanely creative person, aside from all the other fabulous things that she does. Libby was a maid. I was a maid. Hey, you know what? What's that song? Hey, I read the stage directions. Off. At least you had a real character. Hey, okay, y'all even play the maid in a Broadway show. What is that? Baby, baby. Yeah. 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 I'll even play you the told baby. me you're not a singer. <laughs> okay, that's another. T- oh, and you were right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a Broadway baby. And for you've been listening for a long time, the other play we worked on, I talked about it on here too, was Life on Mars. That was the one where I played the cop who arrested uh, lesbians to send them to Mars. That's, that is correct. And I want the listeners to know that we all, you know, here and there messed up our lines and said, you know, things that we thought. But le- dear Patrick, uh, one night said, uh, and I, I can't even remember the exact line. It wasn't even the I was supposed to say something about, well, I'll take her to the spaceport. Okay, that's what it was? Okay, it was, it was I yes. will take her to the spaceport? Right? Something like that. Okay. And so I looked at him and I said, where are you taking her? Or whatever my cue line was. And he said, I'm taking her to space pay him. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> to which. And Libby lost her shit. <laughs> I lost her Because <laughs> I did that thing that I do. I know I've learned I do this. Like when I've done something really stupid, I will do my, my, my grunt. Mm. Yeah, my caveman grunt. That, mm. So I was like the space, the space perm. Space perm. Mm. Mm. And then I, it was pause. Yeah. Mm. And, she and lost it works because you kind of can't like when Patrick does that to you and so, like the you kind of can't. You're not gonna be like. You have to just be in the moment and be like, okay, yeah. And he and I, the said, I fucked that up, and now I'm gonna commit to it. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So just my move Neanderthal on. Just move on. Said, you know, hmm. Then you just move on. You just go to the next thing. You know, you just go to the next thing. And that was the one where Libby played a reporter who was smuggling sperm. But that's not another, <laughs> that's a story on another show. <laughs> you were. Is this why you think I'm a spy now? An international spy? No, I thought you guys were spies for. Now, Michael's been very quiet during all yeah. this. Now, Michael, I don't know as well. I know Michael through Libby. And Michael kind of scares me because of this whole spy thing. And he's got an air of mystery to him, which is both sexy, exotic, and terrifying. I appreciate that. And, and I... I'm pleased to say that the truth about me actually ties into the movie tonight because uh, my, I mean, we all, you know, have our our job we do by day, and mine is I'm a blind priest uh, at the attic of a, a house in in Brooklyn, and I, <laughs> it sounds funny to say, but I'm I kind of guard against uh, minions of hell. Okay, okay. I got two How questions. How much do you get paid for that, babe? You know, surprisingly little. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, do you get dental? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's great. I'm, I'm actually with Aetna, and it is pretty, it's fun. <laughs> Glad I met you. Glad I met you. 
Right. I don't know. I got nothing. I got nothing. No, but really, Michael, what do you do? That was pretty good. No, but really, Michael, what do you do? I, I work for an advertising agency here in New York City, uh, an outfit uh, called, uh, called Gray New York. I am a group creative director. And the, the main advantage of such a job is to be able to participate in podcasts like this. I have to give a massive shout-out to Patrick. We are, as they say in the business, long-time listeners, part-time callers. Couldn't be more excited to take place tonight. Now, one of those stories was a lie, and you'll all have to figure out what that is. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the movie. Now, the yes. first thing that strikes me about this movie even when I saw the first time as a teenager, was that everybody who was alive in the 1970s is in this movie. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, when we were watching the credits at the beginning, and it says, with, and then there's a list, and then, and then, it, and then it has another with list. After that, with list. We, we were like, what? what the no, you're totally right. It's interesting. I mean, obviously... You're, you're in a, a special sort of zone when essentially the opening scene is Jeff Goldblum and he's not credited. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, everybody in the 1970s is in this movie, but it's all A-listers. Totally. Yeah, Academy A-listers. Award winners. So why is it a B movie? Or wait, do you not think it's a B movie? Um, I think it was not intended to be a B movie. I think because this was the t- you know post Exorcist and everybody wanted to make the next one. Right. So that's why they got this great cast, and I believe Michael Winter, the director, had a lot of cred. Who I didn't look up because I'm a terrible person. Because you know there's too many people. There's too many people to keep track of, and everybody who's not already established a list star is one now. Well, Colin looked it up. Yeah, I mean, I mean Winter's such an interesting dude, right? I mean, uh. He will go on to fame as the director of Death Witch, right? So oh, now, that already happened. No, that, it's after that already happened. Yep. So following on The Great Escape, where Charles Bronson becomes well, and also the the, the Magnificent Seven, obviously, uh, Bronson becomes this massive hero. And then when 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 I was a kid, and I'm I'm older, Patrick, than you are, but. When, like, Death Wish, when I was in high school, like, every high school boy was like, this is the best movie ever made. Like, he kills everybody. And that, and that, that, that pretty much told me what it meant to be a man. <laughs> and you know what? It's truer now than ever. <laughs> You're so right. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you can't grab it, kill it. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so just a quick rundown of who we're talking about in this yeah. movie. We've got Burgess Meredith, Ava Gardner, Sylvia yep. Miles, Beverly yep. D'Angelo, yep. Christopher Walken, John Carradine, Jeff Goldblum, Eli Wallach, Martin Balsam, Jose yep. Ferrer, Arthur Kennedy, Jerry Orbach, William Hickey, Deborah Raffin, and stuck in at the very, very end, we get Tom Berenger and Nina Visitor, who I didn't know at first when I first saw her, but when I looked at her, I'm like, oh, I, now I know her. She used to be on Deep Space Nine. Totally. So, 
Including- that's everybody. That's like the whole world. I think I'm in the movie. Yeah, 100%. Just for being alive in the 70s, I'm somehow involved in this movie. Yeah, we really loved your performance in that. Uh, here's the thing. One more thing. One more thing. The yeah, only sorry. person I don't know is the girl who starred in it. Oh, Wait, what? Not, no, the, the woman who started it. Oh, the woman who plays yeah. Allison? Yeah. yeah. Was she a porno film star first? No, I don't think so. Okay, no, but, no. but no, but okay. So, uh, Michael, you think everyone's a porno star? <clears throat> oh, well, only Terry Urbach. But that here's is the super thing. inspirational, actually. Okay. Especially in that wig and Hitler mustache that he had in this movie. Yes, <laughs> but to, to that point, it's a very niche market point, of porn. Patrick, of all of those stars that you mentioned, it's impossible not to start with the how best to put it eyebrow-raising performance by Beverly. Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah. We'll get to that. Okay, we'll yeah, get to yeah. that. Oh, we're going to get to that? Okay. Okay, okay. Right. Well, we'll wait. We'll get to that. We'll, we're going to go through the plot. I'm things. just wondering if there was an audition that happened about that. What do you think? I'm sure she knows which. I'm sure she knew which. Oh God, yes. We want to see that scene. <laughs> no, that was I terrible. Want to see the audition tape. I want to see the audition tape. Take seventy-two. Yes. <laughs> back to one. <laughs> but that's to one. Yeah. It's only one, darling. But if you just here, we'll come. Obviously, you're going to come back to that. Here's yeah, Here's we, something that I think is interesting, right? So, um, your your viewers will be generally familiar familiar with a setup where when the poor benighted young woman moves into the flat in Brooklyn she has a whole experience which seems to be and is indeed later shown to be spectral here's here's an issue I'm not saying it's right or wrong I I wonder if in the in the great scheme of things the scariest fucking demon on earth can possibly be Burgess Meredith it's a question. It's a question. That's all it is. It could be. Yeah. It's pretty scary. It is scary. scary. And his parakeet is fucking intense. Well, see, that's what I was going to say. Is I think that made scariest demon is the parakeet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or the cat. Okay. Cat, cat, cat. Okay, wait. Okay, so we're going to be quiet. Yeah. You're going to interview we're, us. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to give her time. No, you guys are good. This is all good. This is. You're going to ask us questions. Yeah. You're going to answer yeah. No, we're just gonna like do a like walk through the plot, you know, like the major plot because yep. th- this this is a very plot heavy movie. Yeah, it oh, is yeah. indeed. It is indeed. To- it's kind of written to get all these cameos in here. But one thing that I think is interesting is so when when Libby and I were talking is so obviously background. This movie exists in a realm when you have Rosemary's Baby, you have The Exorcist, William Friedkin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the Omen. Uh, the Omen, a little bit later, it's still yeah, very yeah, much yeah, in play. Yeah, uh, yeah that was after this. And, 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 and Libby made a play. It wasn't, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to correct. Just keep going. <laughs> I'm talking to my listeners right now. I know The Omen was 1976, and this is 1977. Don't say something to my listeners, uh, they will totally yell at me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Michael, keep going, uh-huh. Yeah, the guest is always so right, uh-huh. uh-huh. But anyway, yes. That, what? But, yeah. so, so here's the thing. So, w- literally, uh, Personally, Libby and I were driving past Riemann Street, where the uh, the building uh, in question is set, 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, and fortunately, it doesn't have the shitty-ass uh, 77 <laughs> building that they show replacing it. But it's interesting that at the time, it makes it seem like real estate in Brooklyn was like the hottest fucking thing ever, whereas in truth, nobody in New York City, and this is a, a, a fact, uh, bought a single unit anywhere in Brooklyn between especially, 1972 and 1992. I'm especially sorry. Especially if you were a model. Especially if you were a model. I'm just saying, yeah, that's bullshit. I made that up, but that's part <laughs> okay. of the current you know what, you, climate. You committed to that, and I was like, wow, not a single sale? Okay, uh, all right. Is, what I'm saying know, is a total lie. Get off my show, Michael. What the hell are you trying to say? is a total lie, which is true. <laughs> I just want to this is, participate this, in this. This is his spy movie. magic yeah. at work. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. So, all right. I just want to apologize right now for being a really shitty guest. <laughs> no, you're, you're doing fine. The important thing is that you know it. Yes, exactly. I appreciate that. Acknowledgement yeah. is everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. because yeah, I don't want you to be listening to the show when it finally comes out and being like, oh, my God, I was right. terrible. You already know. That was a fucking genius. What happened? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. now you might be wondering, Michael and Libby, yeah. why did I pick you guys for this movie? Yes. Of course I want to have you on the show because you're fabulous people. Yeah. Well, obviously. But why this movie? Yeah, yeah why this movie? Yeah. Uh, what the fuck? I kept saying to Libby, what the fuck with the sentence? It's Libby's fault because really, because among her many talents, yeah. Libby is also a New York real estate agent. And yes. I said, real estate yeah. is yeah. such yeah. a major part yeah. of this plot <laughs> that I needed her on board. Yes. <laughs> to discuss things when the real estate por- real estate portion come up. Okay, yep. so now the movie opens. We're somewhere in Italy. Yep. Oh and right. Yes. Ga- yes. 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 Mm-hmm. And there's the gathering of priests doing creepy priest things. Yeah. It's actually northern Italy. We, yeah. we, we made note of that. It said northern Italy. If you don't mind, Patrick, I, I want to build on that because I think, I think this is I, – I don't know what to think of this, right? So the movie opens literally <laughs> with – I mean, I like, – like your listeners – I am not a world traveler. However, uh, like I, well, okay. In fact, Livy Livy raises a question. Like, yeah, uh, presumably your listeners are far more worldly than I am. But here's here's the shit that I'm bringing. the The movie opens with a tableau, a panorama of Florence, like not hard to identify. And it says Northern Italy. It's like opening on a shot of New York City, and it says near New Jersey, <laughs> somewhere in New York. Yeah, somewhere. I don't know what's happening here, but it's some sort of city in America. That's you know you know what I'm saying. You are a horrible guest. <laughs> We're five seconds into the movie, and you already went off at a rant that meant yes, absolutely nothing. Yeah, I love I'm you, Michael Collins. This is fantastic. 
what I think was really special about this congregation of priests is that yes. apparently when you're getting together to do evil things yes. and creepy things as priests do, you get to wear the dusty rose robes. Totally. Well, yeah, and what I notice is it's like all Those wearing... are some pretty pink robes. Yes. Sorry, go. Pretty pink robes. But they all were wearing completely different and very exciting outfits, I thought. Remember? Yes. Yes. And none of them are exactly the same at all. And, and none of them are exactly the same at all. In fact, none of them are the same even a little bit. Which I think, I think that was supposed to imply that these people come from all over. Choice. Yeah, I was supposed to imply that these people have come from all over the world for this particular meeting. I, I liked that. Usually, it has some sort. There's some sort of consistency. I don't know. It's like like uh, the fall fashion show or something, you know? Yes, yes, but apparently, like, if you were really cool, you got to wear the pink bonbon on your head. The pink bonbon. Because the, there's one know, priest in particular that we follow throughout the movie, and he's always got his little pom pom bonbon carnation thing on the top of his little hat. But this yeah. is when it's pink. When you're in, when you're in Florence, you wear pink. Now, do you think we were meant to know that because he had the pink bonbon on his head, <laughs> that this that would what? be the most important of the priests? You know that we see clearly, later. Clearly, oh, okay. it's a it's a it's 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 a clerical version of a tiara. <laughs> you're and right, I also like for the rest of the back. movie, his bonbon is black. It's like, I have to go deal with the demon now, so I'm going to wear my black bonbon. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Anyway, I enjoyed the priest outfits immensely, all of them, because they were so, it's just the pick of fall fashion show. Anyway, on to you. So they have this mysterious meeting. We don't really know what it's all about, because it doesn't even really matter. It'll come back later, because now we're whisking off to New York, and we're following this fabulous fashion model played by Christina Raines, who plays the character of Allison. Yes. And... I actually had to rewind the opening credits this time. Really? Because she's, I'll tell you why. Because she's running around town with her boyfriend, Chris Sarandon, who yep. we all know from Fright Night and being uh. fabulous and all that stuff. And he had a bitchin' mustache. <laughs> oh he had a very Colin mustache. Hair, in that. that 70s hair. How much? Oh mm-hmm. my god. They, they don't make it, you can't even do that with your hair anymore, I feel like. There, there, aren't, there, there aren't the products, or, or there are products, and that's why that hair doesn't ha- exist anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's true. But when I first saw it, I was like, they're showing them running around town and her at work during the opening credits. Mm-hmm. And then I all of a sudden went, wait a minute, is this one day? Because she's been on five photo shoots. They went on a carriage ride. She had a, a cover come out for Esquire magazine, went on a bike ride. She went on four cozies. I'm like, what kind of a day is this? <laughs> well, are they, no, are they all just... talking? Are they, are they, they all taken up? What's going on? Of a New York model. I mean, I, no, but I went. I re because the light was the same, so I got confused. But I went back and looked. Her clothes was were different in every. Yeah, it was not the same day. But I said, "My God, they're insane!" And your hair's going backwards in that commercial for the shampoo commercial. I'm so relieved to hear that. Yeah, uh, the shampoo commercial where she and Sarah Miles are fluffing their hair up. That's not Sarah Miles. It's Deborah Raffin. Oh dear God. Sylvia Miles. Sylvia Miles. And I said, Sylvia Sarah, I didn't later. even say Sylvia. I said, Sarah. Oh, my God. You said Sarah. But they were twins, right? The Miles Spaceport. sisters? One of them was the sure. nanny and the professor. Sarah Miles was the nanny. No. <laughs> Who's that? Which Miles That's is that? That's the Mills sisters. That's Hanley Mills. Oh, my God. All right. Okay, back to you. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> no, and feel free to jump in on any of this at any time as well. Um. Okay. 
Yeah, well, it's mean that she's a model and that she's the focus of this, and we don't really know what it's going to be, but she's the focus of all the evil that's going to come. But right. we learn that they're dating. He's getting an apartment. They're, right. He wants her to move in with him, but no, she wants her own apartment, so we've got, like, double real estate fun going on for, like, 25 minutes. Oh, my God, there are reports that I could do where I, – I, granted, it was the 70s. This is very expensive. It's a very yeah, what all, does he do? I can't remember. What does Chris Sarandon do? I don't remember. I don't think he ever. I, I don't think we know. Business. I don't think he ever says. I don't think he ever. Says. He, do, he does business. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think he's a lawyer. Mm. They're evil. Let's go with that. What the heck? Okay, but that's, none of that's the point right now. No. So yeah. So yeah. So um, where were we? This is the first thing I wrote down. I said, okay, he's moving in to a three bedroom apartment. That's huge and fabulous, and the rent is $1,000 a month. Yeah. I burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> there are issues, no question. We're talking views, we're talking skylines, and meanwhile, she's looking at this place in Brooklyn, and she's being taken around by Ava Gardner, classic actress Ava Gardner, yeah. who is a huge, wonderful bitch. Oh, a model. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have I seen you on TV? Is your hair lustrous and easy to manage? Oh, yes. Shaking your hair in the fields. Oh, it must be a glamorous profession. I'm sure the landlord will approve. From Baltimore. Yes. Mm-hmm. How nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, no question. Oh, my God, if I could look like her when I'm taking people out and showing them apartments. Oh, that well, is that's my question, my Libby. Since now. you are a licensed New York State real estate agent, how big is your floppy hat? Exactly. Well, no. that you wear the floppy hat because it, it seems to be mandatory. I mean, if somebody went to try to show me an apartment and they were not wearing a fabulous, stylish floppy hat, I'm fucking, I'm out of there. Yeah. I have many hats, and I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that I wear many hats. It depends on what I'm showing, and I will wear the appropriate hat for that. But I have to say, the big, huge floppy hats. It has to do with the square footage in the apartment. I don't want it to be too big of a floppy hat. Right. You know, right. if it because the you know, in New York City, the square footage is not what it's like in the rest of the country. And so no, I don't want any of my floppy hat to take up any more of the square footage while we're walking. No, especially around. now that we got these micro studios going on now, or whatever they call them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's yeah, you wouldn't even to get in. Yeah, I, I believe that the rule of thumb is. It, it, I don't know. I went. Yeah, if you're. Studio of 400 square feet or less, you have to wear a Dick Van Dyke style flat cap. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. Collins has spoken. Yeah. Yeah. So what I loved about this is that we have already established that not only is she a model and a TV commercial actress, but she's a very successful one. We've yeah. seen her on many, many shoots. She's on the cover of every magazine. Mm-hmm. And she fucking dickers the price because five hundred dollars was too expensive. Absolutely, we noted that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Remember that part? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was Where? already. De- I had already decided that I hated her. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely. As a commercial actress, like, like she's getting residuals that are. Are you kidding me? For all of that, and and cover prices. You know, like model on the cover. This is from Esquire and Cosmopolitan, uh-huh. and yeah. She can afford a lot more, is what I'm saying. Which actually, at the beginning of the film, I thought, 
Is this, is there some plot thing here that the reason why she, you know, there's something there because she would be able to afford everything. Yeah. And by the way, this is like a brownstone waterfront on the river. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. So of course it has to be evil, but, um, why doesn't she want to move in with him? That's such an excellent question. <laughs> uh, on, on the basis of the movie, and only on what we see on screen, I think it has to be because... I, I think that the answer has to be basically because the dude that she might potentially be being moved, moved in with uh, killed his wife and wants to kill her. That's my only guess, and I'm putting it out but there. But we don't well, know we, that yet. Did, we yeah. don't so, know that. Spoiler. Right, we so my guess that. is I think we have a hunch. I think we say, oh, I bet he killed his wife and wants to kill her. <laughs> and know, I, did, I didn't get that hunch at all, because I think Chris I Ren is, is very likable in this. Yeah, I hear all right, you. All right, I'm going to give my answer, which right, is I think that – when we see her walk in on her father and those prostitute people oh, yes, thing. Yes, We're having the yeah, cream puff orgy. I'm thinking she's like, doesn't trust men in this way. Doesn't okay. want to commit necessarily because he I, might, she might walk in on him doing that. And, you know, I, I'm, like, I'm not trying to make it all serious. Right I wanna, I wanna, no, I we don't build. do serious here. We don't do serious here. No. Yeah. Oh, what I got from it, what I got from it is that we are. No. That she just got out of the hospital when they yep. met. But we don't know for yep. what yet. It's that she had tried to kill herself, but we don't know why. Not yet. Yep. And his wife had just died around that time. So it's just too soon for her. I completely agree. I, she I'm wants to see one... if she can stand on her own for a while. That's her whole thing. To... I'll add one thing. Say, you were like... both wrong. When we meet her, her, you know, her paramour is a lanky dude... Chris with, Randon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with a mustache. And I will say, and I found this on my own, a dude with a mustache is pretty reliably fucked up. So I don't, I don't. I Says don't the dude who has the same story. mustache that Chris Randon has. So that's really exactly. kind of an amazing thing. Exactly. You just know, right? We're getting as true confession here, kids. As you knowing me, and as the audience knows from knowing Chris. Okay, I, you know, that's. I think we've worked it's through it now. Bullshit. That was a great question, yeah. and I think we worked through yes. the yes. exact answer. It's yeah. a, okay. That's what but it unfortunately, is. like she gets the apartment, but unfortunately, right about now, she finds out that her father has passed away. So she had to go to Baltimore for the funeral, and she has a flashback. Everything bad that happened, the thing that sent her to the hospital, which Libby touched on earlier. She walked in on her father, having a very strange, very surreal threesome. Yeah, yeah two... I, I want to touch on that briefly. I, I think. That <laughs> okay, what... I bet you do. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. I think is interesting about. Okay, that he's scene, going. He's gone. I, I think it's a very powerful scene in cinema history. What 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 she walks in on, and I think it's it's important to be uh, specific about this, is her unattractive father having sex with a bunch of unattractive people, and. <laughs> And I know that sounds unkind. That sounds judgy, but, but but it helps us understand why they're fucking demons, and and that's and the kind why of she became a model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that helps us to. That's the whole theme of the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say she walks in on this very weird. It's not even a sex act. They're just all lounge around 
naked. <laughs> her 80-year-old father, despite the fact that she's a teenager at this yeah. point, but whatever, because yeah. she's in her Catholic school uniform, but whatever. Sure. Okay, he's like a 90-year-old man. He's gone up 10 years in the five seconds that I've been talking. So They're laying around <laughs> naked in bed with these two like plus-size women so, yeah. eating cream puffs. It's a cream puff orgy yes. kiss. yes. Oh, darling, is that what that was? It was oh, cream, I yeah, they yeah. were eating cream puffs. I thought it was something yeah. much more, more more vile. Yeah. But but I, but you know what? Here's the cream point. puffs are very sexy. It's that juicy center. It's the cream. It, it, it is it is a is a really really sexy scene. If if you were born blind and have never seen sex. Um, but here's a, here's the thing that I wonder. I will about. never eat a cream puff again. Absolutely. <laughs> but but. And well, you know what? Well, you you can't really make this point, but it's it's curious that I mean, I think I'm going to suggest to you and to Libby and to all of your listeners that I think it's fair to say that we've all walked in on our parents having sex with an overweight orgy. The thing that is that I'm wondering about is like, it's we, a writ to pass off. Well, of course, right? But we it's haven't right. killed ourselves, and that's one of the two suicides that leads to the essential plot point at the end of the movie. That's right. She goes straight to the bathroom, and what's she do, Libby? Well, she she well she commits. She cuts her wrist. Short answer. She short answer. She slits her wrist. She slits her wrist. Yes, but she doesn't even she in the right way. herself. No, no, that's a different that scene. That's a different scene. That, that's Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah. She slits her wrist immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, so you know, uh, she doesn't even do it in the correct way. Not that I would know, that's but, you know. Point. You know, that, like, if you're going to do, well, anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. Let's leave that. It was yeah. the 70s. I don't think that way had been invented yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, so it's all this whole traumatic thing, and that's the beginning of weird things for her, because she sees all of this. It's not just like a flashback. It's happening in front of her. She's yep. seeing herself. Like, it's a, it's a split-screen Patty Duke and Patty Duke kind of thing. Yes, yes. And yeah, it's kind of a Brian De Palma split-screen. Well, not quite, but anyway, yeah. Not, it's not even split-screen. It's that, mm-hmm. you know, we know what I mean. You know, what do they call that? But, um, yeah, but you know what I thought was really weird? What? That she brought Chris Sarandon a souvenir back from the funeral. I thought that was really weird. <laughs> Totally. What? I just buried my father, so I'm going to celebrate the occasion by giving you some chunky cufflinks. Oh, the ML cufflinks, yeah. With the initial, those cufflinks were so big, I don't know how he was able to lift his wrists off his desk. <laughs> we see them again at the end, don't we? Yeah, they but, are. Well, but they were, they, they you know what? I thought they were. I thought they were. They were they're Chekhov's cufflinks. Chekhov's <laughs> cufflinks. You don't yes. introduce the cufflinks in Act One. Unless someone's going to get shot with them in Act 3. <laughs> That's it. That is yeah. well put, my friend. Love it. Yes. Thank you. That's a running joke. And we have skipped over, actually, we skipped over her first photo shoot, which is really notable only for the presence of Jeff Goldblum. I Jeff, I'm not in the opening credits. Well, Goldblum. You're, you're so right. So one of the things, and, and Goldblum, obviously, is... Order of Magnitude, 19, 20, He's not credited in the opening uh, role. 19, 20, 21. <laughs> Age. Well, those three years. Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry, yes. <laughs> not, not, not the years of the calendar, like his age. <laughs> right. I'm Jeff, sorry. Whoops. Yeah, Jeff yeah he's, he's there running the photo shoot with, with a megaphone. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. 
<laughs> and again. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I am. It's it's such a delight to see him. But you're you're right. It's 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 entertaining to see somebody who we now all know so well who already has those same idiosyncrasies. It's a treat. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's pretty much, it's not the first scene, but it's early enough in the movie that I said, wow, they're kicking off the creepy Absolutely. right away. Because I find Jeff Goldblum <laughs> creepy. I'm sorry. I know people love him. I think he's creepy. But anyway, back to the plot. Okay, so whatever. She moves into, she moves into the apartment. Yeah. And she meets one of the neighbors. Well, three of the neighbors, to be, to be, yeah. fair, to be honest. Uh, well, Burgess, Burgess Meredith, Meredith. Is, is the first that she meets. Yes, but he's well. He's well, but he's also got Jezebel and Mortimer, Mortimer with him, right? Which is his cat and his parakeet. Yes. Oh my God, the parakeet! I can't even think of it right now. It's. <laughs> I the... love this character. This character, it's like this, this this weird kind of kind of effete guy who's like super friendly and super everything. And I love that he comes to visit her, and when he leaves, he leaves a picture, a framed picture of himself. <laughs> A framed on her mantelpiece because that, that's and, what you do. That's a perfect say, housewarming gift. This is the first point in this film where I went, "Hey, all these people are in this film. All these millions and millions of crazy famous actors are in this film. Why?" That was the first point where I'm like, "What makes Meredith think? Oh, this is a great script. I'm going to do this." I think this was supposed to be like a big, big thing. I know it was. And are we getting into that? Because it was supposed no, to be no, a no, big, no, 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 no. We're gonna stay. We're gonna stick with the plot for right now. Okay, we'll have yeah. a, some a summary. So at yes. The end. So Burgess Meredith, and oh my God, it's always such a joy to see him. He always has an animal with him. Do you remember in um, Foul Play? He comes. Foul in, he Play. Has like a, he has a snake. Yeah. Remember Foul Play with Chevy Chase and. Um, Goldie uh-huh. Hawn, and he, sure. he and he is their neighbor, or Goldie Hawn's neighbor, and he walks in and he has a a python or some sort of snake. Esme, I want to say. I think it's in his con- I think it's in his contract, and he's an Oscar winner. I, now, think isn't he? I think that must be true. You know, yeah, yeah, because so, Rocky already happened, so he has an Oscar when he well. He might not have had the Oscar when they were shooting this, but still, he's a big name to be in this crazy movie, and he. I just love that they have all these big names in it, and for the most part. They're for the most the part, hilt. yes. For the most part, they're playing it to the hilt. A lot of them seem to be just cameos. Yes. That are almost forced into the script to get another famous face in. Like uh, like uh, Martin Balsam, I would say. Would like be. Martin Balsam. Yeah, that scene was completely unnecessary. Oh, um, and by the way, um, does Christopher Walken have any lines? I can't remember. I don't think he actually... Oh, yes, he to... does, and we'll get to that. We'll, okay, we'll okay. get to that. He's got one of my favorite lines of the movie. Okay, because, <laughs> and, and that might be his only line. Because he's, no, he's got there, a are, there are a couple not... scenes that go by where he says nothing at all. He just chews gum. Yeah. Well, he wasn't. He chews gum a lot in this movie. That was his character choice. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna incorporate that in like uh, auditions and you know, think choices that I make. She was terrible, but my God, that gum! I couldn't take my eyes off of it. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting to meet all of the neighbors, and all of them are weird in their own way, like Meredith. Uh, Burgess Meredith was cute weird. Yeah, I would say he was cute weird, yeah. My, you're so pretty. Haven't I seen you before on television? <laughs> now, don't tell me. I know you're in... Uh... I've done some TV commercials. Oh, really? I thought you were an actress. 
Yeah, he, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind living next door to Burgess Meredith, although I think it'd be coming over. Like yeah, every uh, two I, hours. It would be that knocking on the door, uh, <laughs> wanting a cup of sugar, and not really wanting a cup of sugar. Uh-huh. I yeah. made some rhubarb pie. <laughs> 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 yeah, but now we get to meet uh, Gerda and Sandra, who are played by uh, Sylvia Miles. Who is a podcast favorite and well, the person that we left out of the uh, initial discussion of the first play we did together, the Ann Bobby show, Doug Shapiro was in that. Oh. Doug Shapiro comes on the show when I do Agatha Christie movies because he can't watch horror movies because he has no aesthetic distance and he gets too scared. But he wants to be on the show. So we do Agatha Christie movies and she was in Evil Under the Sun and she was his favorite character. Oh. Because she was like a walking – she was like a drag queen that wasn't a drag queen. Totally. Now this is every line to rent. wonderful and er, rent. That's how old I am. That we need to watch tonight. Okay, I think it's on the YouTube. But anyway, did you say the YouTube. I did. <laughs> I well, I, I wanted to be specific. I didn't want to say a YouTube. It could be any YouTube. No, so they're the lesbians that live downstairs, and what and. <laughs> Now we get the creep, creepy, 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 creepy ladies. <laughs> creepy, creepy ladies. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 aside from lesbians, this relationship is never really defined very much, and that's okay because it makes it mysterious. Like, why are they wearing dance attire? Absolutely. Well, isn't that yep. – doesn't Sylvia Miles – well, I guess she doesn't, does she? Explain that. Christina asks them, so are you guys dancers? But they don't answer. Oh, but there is a what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? We fondle each other. Fondle. Correct. Guys, that's you. Fondle each other. We fondle each other, yes. Right. <clears throat> so, Which, again, begs the question, do you get dental with that? <laughs> You're exactly right. They might get dental say, dams with that. No, it's not the 80s yet, but whatever. Never mind. Never mind. Please continue. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's not 1977, but I think that looking back, we, we can say with a with a fond eye or a disapproving eye. Or a fondle. Ah. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Now that here, here we have what academics would call the male gaze, right? So we're we're representing the whole idea of uh, untraditional female sexuality in two ways. One, as lesbian, <laughs> which is fucking hot, uh, and then two, as exactly that, like, wow, there's nothing going to happen here other than, like, getting myself off. And, but I will say, I will say that it is appropriate to, to keep an eye on the fact that this is more than 30 years ago. And uh, we, we shouldn't, I mean, as ridiculous as a lot of this movie is, you know, the, the sexuality and the gender politics in it are of their time. We, we can't pretend. Oh, yeah, no, 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 you can't hold, hold totally. to modern yep. standards. Boom. And also, it's a horror movie. This should be creepy. Right-o! And they are creepy, because this scene, 
is one of the most disturbing things I've seen in anything. And there's not a 100%. drop of blood spilled. Nobody oh dies. I consider myself, uh, you know, somebody who's modern and somebody who, you know, can, like, can handle things. And, and we watched that scene the other night, and I'm like, holy mother of God. Is she really doing that? <laughs> okay. What happened, guys? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What? I don't know. Yeah. And, and that quickly. No, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, a, I'm asking you. Tell the listeners what happened in this scene. Fill them in, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking. Okay. What happens is, the, you know, she's, Allison's in the apartment, and you know she's trying to be friendly and make small talk. Sylvia Miles leaves the room to answer the phone, and is left alone with Beverly D'Angelo, who we have learned. Doesn't really speak. Yeah. Right. And not to let that bother her. Well, she While speaks. Sylvia Miles, but she speaks in a different way. Huh? Well, she speaks, but she speaks in a she different makes, way. She uh, makes. You're right. You're right. You know, she. Well, you know, it's it's a kind of sign language. Yeah. That that she does. <laughs> she does speak with her hands. No. What happens is, so Sylvia Miles. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Allison is left alone on the couch, across from Beverly to Angelo, and while. Sylvia Miles is on the phone. Without saying a word, Beverly D'Angelo locks eyes with Allison and starts masturbating. What? Flat with that. out, no shame, staring you dead in the eyes, masturbating to orgasm. Yep. What's happening? And it's horrifying. I think would probably naturally, but at- I mean, it's clearly the. The category moment, I respect that. Well, it's so disturbing, and something that Libby had said, well, well, we had a botched call earlier. Something that Libby had said, or maybe you said earlier this call, what was, what, what was, what was, what was, what was the audition like for that? Oh, oh yeah. I, I, character. I really thought that. Like, the first thing I thought, actually, that's not the first thing I thought. I thought a lot of things, first thing, and second things. But then later, I asked Khan, do you think that she auditioned, that there was an audition where she, <laughs> did she, did she have to audition for that? And then, if you think about that, if she did have to audition for that, then you think many actresses auditioned for that and uh-huh. did that in their audition. And who's uh-huh. the person, who's the casting director, and I need to go back nah. and look on IMDb. But who's the casting director goes, I'm calling in all these women and, and, and here, okay, so here's what you have to do. All right. Yeah. So, and, and I love that there was a choice made where it's like, oh, that person did the best job. Uh huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mom, I got it. I'm in a movie. And by the way, also talk about that scene where she locks eyes with her. Like you said, Patrick, she locks eyes with her. And does that, and the character Allison doesn't leave the room. Doesn't she just is like sits there and is quietly disturbed and kind of rolls her eyes and like. <laughs> uh huh. Wouldn't you like? I don't know. Flee the room. I don't know. This is, I don't know. She's it also. Uh, I don't know. She's a shy Catholic girl. I don't know. I don't know. There is that urge to be polite with the new neighbors. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know why she stays, but she does stay, and it makes it worse. 
It makes it worse, and it makes it better. It, well, yeah, and I, I mean that in the best possible way, because I have to say, my experience living as a gay Your man, experience? In living as a gay man in New York City, yeah. in the age of you know digital sex, <laughs> I've seen a lot of weird shit go down. I've seen a lot of disturbing shit go down. This shit was more disturbing than anything I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> All right. So do you think that it's Al threatening that? masturbating? I've never oh. seen anyone masturbate threateningly before. Yeah. What year did Beverly D'Angelo and Al Pacino get married? Do you know? I don't know. I didn't know they were married. They had. They were married at at, at a time. And so I'm just wondering. That's all. He might have thought that was yeah. hot or not. I don't uh-huh. know. And she I'm... smelled her fingers when she was done. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was a good year. Yeah. It was a good year. It was a good year for, for masturbation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever yeah. other masturbation that year. I don't know. I don't know. Let's not. Okay. We are not going no. down. We got a lot of movie to get through. So things. She, she thinks this. The neighbors are weird, but it's New York. It's not that big a deal for her. It's not a deal breaker for her. Mm-hmm. However, creepy things start happening in the apartment at night. She's hearing noises from an apart- the apartment that nobody lives in. And, of course, there's the concern because before she even knew moved in, she was being stared at by somebody yeah. in the top end of the building. Yeah. And who was that? Who's staring at her? There is somebody staring at me from that fifth floor window up there. I'm sure you've been stared at before. Yes, but... That's Father Harron in 5A. He's been here for years. He's a priest. He's kind of senile. He just sits by the window. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? Well, here, here, Short you, answer. Raise, here you raise, I think, an essential point about the flick, right? So... Uh, when she moves in, uh, she's told that, ah, well, you know, there's the, the blind old priest upstairs, nobody but but you and he, obviously... Well, she didn't know that, no. She didn't, no, no, no. She, nobody told her that. That's <clears> just you and him. Because well, she's talking about the neighbors, and when she went to the real estate right, agent to complain about she all the noise, back. she's like, what are you talking about? Nobody else lives there except you and the priest. Okay, yeah. Totally, but when she goes back to David Gardner, she does say, hey, it's just you and the Padre, right? Yep. And obviously this is foreshadowing, spoiler alert to the, uh, the podcast, that eventually she will become the blind nun sitting in the top room of the shitty... <laughs> 1970s tenement they yeah. build on the property, right? Because yeah. all this priest does is stare out the window yeah. all day long, all day long. Yeah. And as Allison says, when she first sees him, but he's blind. Yeah. What is he looking at? That's dun, dun, dun. such a fucking good question, right? He's like looking at the Verrazano Bridge. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Well, yeah. I think we can all agree yeah. that he has some sort of sight that is mm-hmm. not... Mm-hmm. 
you know, mm-hmm. literal sight. Now, come on, boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So creepy things are happening. She makes Ava Gardner go back to the house yeah. to open up the apartment to see who's in there because she thinks maybe it's squatters. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the apartment above her is empty, and you know what? So's every other place that she's been in. Yeah. <laughs> Burgess I Meredith apartment. Like, I feel like empty. Not in- only is the lesbian's apartment empty, it's got completely different furniture than when she was in there before. And oh, by the way, we skipped Jezebel's birthday party. Oh. Yes. Open up, open up, surprise, 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 surprise. Happy birthday, dear Jezebel. Happy birthday to you. Have a hat and noise maker for the party. Because nothing captures 1970s horror more than polka music. The polka, everybody, the polka. Oh, I used to dance at the fast time casino. One and two and one and two and one and two and one and two and one and two. Word up. Oh, my God. True story. Mm-hmm. She gets invited. Burgess Meredith invites her up to a birthday party for his, a surprise birthday party for his cat. Yeah. It's my favorite. And as you can see on Skype right now, that is my picture on Skype right now is the cat with the party hat on. <laughs> mm-hmm. for the is that why? Yes, why? Oh, I love it. It's oh. Jezebel. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. Okay, so what's black, white, black cat... White cake, what is it? Black that? and white cat, black and white cake. Black and white cat, black and white cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she meets all these other crazy people, and this has got the big Rosemary's baby vibe. And again, everybody in this, all these old people and other weird neighbors that are either in the building or used to live in the building or something, they're all people, even if you don't know their names, you recognize them. Like, oh, that guy. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Oh, her. I'm like, that's that's Doris's mom from the Fame movie. And that guy used to be on Harper Valley PTA, the TV oh my God, series. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said something that I'm like, thank God. Because Doris's mom from the Fame movie, that's who I thought. Because I always, I, like when we watched it, I thought that was uh, Maureen Stapleton. No. Yeah, actually there's a resemblance, but it's not Maureen right? Stapleton. Right? And, when, and, and every time I watch Fame, which is like, you know, once every three weeks... Um, sure. I think that Doris's mom is Maureen Stapleton. Who is that actress? What's her name? I don't know her name. Can you believe it? We don't know her name. I'm like, it's like a woman. uh, You know what her name is? That actress that looks like Maureen Stapleton. Uh huh. But isn't. And people go, oh yeah, her. Uh Doris's mom. Mm hmm. You just saved me four fucking years in this ass licking school. You're looking at one happy lady, shithead. Favorite part of the movie. <laughs> it's my favorite part of fame. Are we talking about fame? No, we're talking about this. And let's talk about just, fame. Let's talk about oh, totally. I'll be. We'll be here. All, we seriously will be here all night. <laughs> yeah. So now this now now Chris Sarandon has like clued into this mystery. He sends a private detective over to find out what's going on. Yep. He's trying to look up all these documents and, and and piece things together of all this weirdness. <laughs> Meanwhile, Allison is just trying to go on with her career. So she's got a modeling shoot right. with Jerry Orbach yeah. of Broadway fame, and most people, of course, know him from the original Law and Order series. Okay. And he's looking swank. He is, he is, yeah, yeah. He looks really good. He was looking oh, swank, and you know what? He's, oh my goodness, I'm like, what? 
Jeff he's Goldblum look, no, he's got not, nothing on you, baby. No, no, he's because he's got a wig on, clear wig. He's got a full-on Hitler mustache, and he's just so angry that she just cannot get that label right on the bottle. Well, come on, I mean, she can't put that bottle down. My time is money, bitch. Well, I take ninety-seven. I think it's interesting to note, right, that in this film is simultaneously appearing in. The original production of Follies. So, oh, okay. Which, which is interesting because, really? in, yeah, oh my because God. In, in Follies. Which means this scene shot on a Monday is what you're saying. 100%, right? Yeah. And, and so, and, and famously. Totally, I love that scene shot on a Monday, yeah. Totally. And so, famously in Follies, you know, he, uh, Okay, everybody, Follies is a musical by Stephen Sondheim. Okay, okay. okay please continue. Yeah. 20 seconds on Follies. So, um, Stephen Sondheim, as, uh, as Patrick is saying, it's um, a, a massively uh, important musical where the, the, the kind of end of the whole Follies era from the 20s, 30s, 40s is depicted they on don't the care. stage. And, and Orbach, Orbach is one of the, the, the four principles, and the only thing that makes this of any interest to this particular podcast is that uh-huh. his character, um, as written by Stephen Sondheim, um, famously forgets his lines, right? So there's a whole series where on stage, and especially on opening night, people were genuinely fucking out of their heads because the way it's written is that he is not able to go on. And there's an interesting contrast with his whole more controlled character here. I mean, so he's playing both at the same time, which is vaguely uh-huh. interesting. Okay. No wonder he's so mad at her that he can't put the bottle down. Exactly. I can't remember my line. You can't put the fucking bottle down with the label put in the, the right goddamn down. position. You know what? Somebody directs me like that. The way Jerry Orbach directed her. You know, I'm not, I, I, I'd be too nervous to put the bottle down. I wouldn't know where to put the You're young. Well, it doesn't, it Stop that it doesn't matter. Stop yelling at me. You know, it's like well, thing. she does the only sensible thing that she can do. She has some kind of seizure, collapse on the floor, and falls through a plate glass window. Because that's what you do. Yes. Because what happens? Allison is starting. Allison's starting to have health problems. Yes. Well, starting to. My God. Now, can we talk about that? Even though yeah. I know this is. But why? So it's the evilness of the apartment building that makes her starting start to have seizure or not seizure, but like faint and like. It's the it's the sickness of the demons, right? Uh huh. Or or you could say that, or it's the beginning of her transformation. <gasps> yes. Okay. Okay. that there. We're gonna leave that there. Okay. It's kind of hard to go through this with everything that's going on because there's a mystery element to it. Chris yeah. Ren is trying to find out what's going on in this apartment because he's figuring out that everything is weird because she's telling him about the birthday party. They're standing in the empty apartment. Yeah. She's like, I was at a birthday party here, and she lists all the people that were there. There was this old woman who's black and white cat, black and white cake, which becomes this weird picture for the movie. Yep. Um, 
And and these people were from – they used to live here, but they don't live here anymore. And there's these two twin sisters, and they were really weird, and this is their names. And when he sends the private detective to do research on them, all of these people – well, actually, no, that comes later. Anyway, he sends the private detective <laughs> to do research on it then. So one night, she's in bed. She hears the noises start up again, and she goes up to confront whoever's up there. She's like, I hear you. I'm in my, I'm in my diaphanous nightgown, right. and I'm going to confront you because that's how you roll. Because I have a, there's a Scream Queens podcast rule that I've noticed in movies when people get diaphanous in their clothing, shit gets real. Yeah, totally, totally. And, I, and shit gonna... went down hard here because yeah. she gets up there and oh, who's that, up there? Yeah. Her dead father in a pair of tattered peeny panties. Yeah, totally. And I, I just want to say in a in a in a fictional way when when Michael Winner directed Annie, I mean, the way that he worked with those children. Which is totally so... the same movie. He totally is ripping off <laughs> himself. Yeah, that was, that with was Annie. so great, right? Yeah. That's why Annie is drawn with the pupils in the comic books, because she's the next sentinel. You couldn't be more right, Patrick. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Word up. All right, so that last scene. None what of last them scene? Were... Uh, here's the thing. So you know how we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast that everybody's in this film you know everybody yes. you can think of r- really and so in that last scene it's not a shitload scene. of extras you know when they when they're up in the room when they go up to the priest's room and they're finally you know and they're up in there you know what there's not even when they're on the street and in such park there's not a lot of extras right or you're right there's a group of people it's a bunch of the people that you know. You know, like, you're right. It's a bunch of those you're right. Actors. I think the most people you see are at the the photo shoots. Most people, that, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although yeah, I will say, stuff. I will say yes, yes. that the movie in '77 did <laughs> not unreasonably uh, get an amount of criticism for its depiction of. Sorry. We're not there yet. So oh, I, got, I, I, what I mean was depiction of Libby as a heartthrob. Who's Libby? <laughs> you know what? I your wife. Your wife is. Your, your wife is in the movie. Okay, great. This has gotten weird. They're the drinking. I'm not. This is not fair. This is not fair. So, anyways, this all this stuff is happening. She has a great nightmare sequence. Yep. Well, that's the whole film, but yeah. Great. Well, no, she has one particular – oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's up in this room. She sees her dead father. She freaks out, and she stabs him in the face. In the face. Yeah, like eyeball. Yeah. uh Uh-huh, and then when the cops come, no body, no blood, nothing. But then, much later on, like a week later, in the dump, they find the body of that private detective. Right. Who – was who had gone to the apartment and then all of a sudden went missing. And by the way, his secretary was fabulous. <laughs> I completely agree. She's like my favorite character. She was my favorite character in it for three seconds, and she's like the one person in the movie who's not anybody. But anyway, please continue. Anyway, so that happens. So now the police are getting involved. Yeah. Because um, they've now figured, okay, he was going to this house. And there's a whole thing that they this police officer, Eli Wallach, who is wearing a tie – that is two feet wide. It looks like a clown tie. It's amazing, yeah. but not the point right now. <laughs> he he had investigated uh, Chris Sarandon's wife's death some years ago when she fell off the 59th Street Bridge. 
Right. And he got, you know, I think it even went to trial, but he got off. Uh, he, uh, he was proved innocent. But so he's got his eyes on, on my, uh, Chris Sarandon. Now he's like, oh, wait, Chris Sarandon called this guy and it went to this house and he's dead now. Huh, Chris Sarandon must be involved in his murder. So now he's got his sights on this whole situation. His sidekick, his partner, is Christopher Walken. Yes. Christopher Walken. And they're doing all this investigating, and someone has been looking up the names of all the people that were at this birthday party, and it's discovered that they're all murderers, and they're all dead. I'm gonna They've all turn, been executed. I, I'm gonna, you, you have raised so many important points. I'm, I'm going to make one very brief note and turn it over to Libby. In terms of Eli Wallach's tie, I, I, I want to say that I think that that is the central image of the movie. I, I feel that. I couldn't the, take my eyes off the, 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 the confidence twinned with decadence, bear with me, that we see in his <laughs> ties really reflect a hell of a lot. Uh, over to you, Libby. Yeah. I found, well, if I can interject, I found it to be like a foil, a counterbalance yes, to the white yes. of Ava Gardner's hat. A hundred percent! Now that... I think those characters are just two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. My God, that makes me feel better. One's solving crimes, the other one's selling apartments. It's still the same thing. Libby, go. Completely agree. I just, you know, Christopher Walken chewing that gum, chewing like that gum. A cow. How adorable is that? I mean, does and anybody I, I mean, not want to see Christopher Walken chewing gum in a scene where he says nothing? And then and another Libby, scene where Libby he Libby knows also- this. Libby well, yeah, knows okay, this. Yeah. I know this. I'm sure Michael knows this. People who've studied film acting know this. People who study acting in general. Any acting coach will tell you chewing gum is not a choice. Yeah. It is not a character choice. You know what? I <laughs> don't totally do that. Disagree. When but it's then again, Christopher this is, it's Christopher Walken. They're like, we're all scared of you, Christopher Walken. You're the scariest man alive. Even though nobody knows who you are, you can do whatever you want, sir. But yes, yeah, so we know that all these people are dead. Now we know this apartment's super duper evil. Even though we knew that anyway, never gets getting confirmed just how evil it is. She has this crazy nightmare in which, among many things. Sylvia Miles and Beverly D'Angelo are butt-ass naked. And and yes. Beverly D'Angelo is playing are the symbols. Are they butt-ass which... naked or was it just topless? It doesn't matter. No, they were naked. Okay, naked, uh, splitting hairs. Naked, splitting... nude. No, because naked is dirty, nude is art. This was naked. They were naked, <laughs> dirty, naked. And the thing that made it naked was that Beverly D'Angelo was playing the symbols. <laughs> that is some dangerous shit. That is a dangerous thing to do to be playing symbols when you're naked. You could really hurt yourself. That's some <laughs> Matt McConaughey shit right there, right? That's totally right. Yeah, it is. It is. So I hope. I hope on top of everything that you went through that audition process, of the, everything that Beverly D'Angelo went that horrible audition that we've imagined that probably didn't really happen, but that's not the point right now. I hope that you got hazard pay. Yes. For the scene. I don't think she did. It. Yeah. You could you could you could really clamp a tit like I mean some women have huge clitorises that could be a dangerous thing I mean terrible things can happen when you play the symbols naked kids don't do it don't no. do it don't it's try bad to sit but the thing is, is this is all the, this, this whole thing is building up to the fact that uh, even though Christopher Walken does not have many lines in this the line that he has that is just so magical because it's so wonderful when they find out that everybody that she has named is someone who has been executed for murder. She said, huh, she went to a party with eight dead murderers. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, why are you from Boston, New York City? I don't know what's happening. But yeah, so things are just all going very bad. Are you saying? I can't remember right now. I'm trying to remember if he has a line at all. He does. It's in the trailer that we played at the beginning. She went to a party with eight dead murderers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the gum, the gum. But but the gum has been so established. Practically a character. It's hypnotic, and I think it's also again a foil. It's like it's like counterbalancing, like the inner chewing, the chewing, the turmoil, the chewing it's up the of Allison's chewing. insides and her soul. Because like she keeps running into the, the the priest who's passing himself off as a normal priest, but he's not a normal priest, and she's having a crisis of faith. Bad things are happening because it turns out that yes, this building is inhabited with demons. The reason why it's inhabited with demons – I'm cutting to the chase here. Uh, (laughs) The reason why it's inhabited with demons is that this building, this lovely little brownstone, 10 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights, is the gateway to hell. Yes, it is. And she has been selected by God to become the next sentinel. She will be the one who sits up in that apartment and somehow, by just by her press alone, will – Keep evil at bay if she accepts. I apologize. Just one, one, one small addition. It is the gateway to hell and also a new station on the G train. So I just wanted to make that clear. I mean, those two things go together. So okay, that's good. So is that okay? Uh, uh, this stop. Uh, <laughs> last stop. Last stop. Gates of hell. Uh, yeah, everybody yeah. leave. Everybody yeah. leave the train. The train closes down in about <laughs> six years because they keep changing it. That might be yeah. good point about. Well, good point. Maybe. Anyway. Good point. So this is battle for Allison's soul because yes. you know it's, she's Catholic. It's a free will thing. She can say no. Yes. And actually, the demons have something in mind. They want to get her to kill herself because all of the people, yep. all of the other sentinels, since yep. the beginning of time, were suicide Us? survivors. Yep. That's part of the thing, right. how they redeem okay. themselves for their unspeakable sin, is this. And it's all very heavy, and it's all very maudlin. And at the end is some shocking shit. Because Burgess... Yes. Summit, who's the, who's the Satan character here, closest thing to it. He's the head demon of them all. Not only is he the one who's throwing the poker parties for his cat, he is going to summon up all of the denizens of hell, which are marching through that horrible apartment towards Allison. As he gives her the knife, it's like, well, you can kill herself, or they can do it for you, or whatever. You are here to join us. I call thee! I need you! My horror and confusion expedite our glorious ones. And this is that controversy that Michael was talking about. Yes, yeah, so, so Patrick, Go. I, and, and I don't, personally, as, as a podcast participant, I, I'm not fully vested in controversy here, but, but Please describe the, the concerns here. Well, they're all played by real-life people with severe facial and body deformations. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't makeup on some of them? 
No. No. <gasps> I that did was not real, do that. Okay, real, okay. Real. And actually, you can kind of tell because mixed in with them is the characters that we've already met, the lesbians and, and all those other people for the birthday party. They're all there as well. A, they have their clothes on. The other people are completely naked. Um, but the, the stars are just kind of painted gray. Of course. Not, of course. With no, no no other additional makeup, where everybody else is a walking nightmare, and it is genuinely horrifying. I agree with that. Yes, yes. All but right. the first time I saw it, I said, "This makeup is amazing. It's a little too amazing." And then I was looking really close. I'm like, "Oh shit, that's not makeup." Okay, there. So there was yeah, controversy okay, yeah. that they they went to you know carnivals and hired people from the freak show. People got were up in arms about that. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not on. sure I, how I feel about that either. Damn. Because I had thought they all were, like, makeup. I mean, they had, like, a little person, but they didn't, but, the, like, there was somebody that, like, there were a lot, there were two or three with, like, facial things that I thought, oh, they're just doing makeup. I guess not. No. No, they're not. That was real deal stuff. Yeah. Which makes it, I mean, I, and of course, this is me. This is me. I'm like trying to pick like building room and like craft services. It was like just like I was hanging. Out. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. It's weird. The whole thing. It's weird, but it is amazingly effective. And I'm guessing they were also well paid. I don't know. One, one hopes, right? So there. What what I expect that your listeners can agree to is that there is no easy moral answer to this, right? The no. Uh, as a as a guest invited, and thank you again. I, I would say that at the end of the day, the ability of, of someone um, with one of the conditions represented in the closing scene to portray themselves is morally superior to casting someone to make themselves up to look like that person. But but that 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 position is is not by any means morally indefensible. That's just uh, no perspective. No, I mean I get it because it, it is a form of exploitation because they are evil. Yep, and they're there to horrify you. But then again, you got them from carnival freak shows. This is what they do for a living. Absolutely. Anyway, it, of course that of course we're judging it by modern mentality. Of course, well, and that too. makes Dr. Marley because, yeah. I mean, it could be a lift, uh, Todd, uh, what was it? Todd, yeah, freaks. Yes, yes, that's what that's what a lot of people said. They're like, well, this is kind of an homage to that. That was a whole movie that was cast that way. A Ken, just because somebody did it, doesn't make right. Doesn't make it wrong. I don't know. We don't have an answer. Totally, yeah. Well, and I'm going to get off on a tangent. Now I'm saying this, but Johnny's race was about that. It was literally about like we are people and we are not, you know, uh, you know. Yeah. So that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Anyway. Yes, it is. But you could also say in that movie they're also sympathetic. One hundred percent. Yeah, they turn murderous at the end, but there is a very good reason why. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, it 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 it's it, it, it's a moral gray ground. I would, I would agree. Uh-huh. Now, you know, it's so funny because I would, I, I will say, 
Gee, I probably shouldn't say it, but like, you know, 20 years ago, I would have, or even like, I don't know, like, I would have been like, oh my God, that's the most hilarious scene. I really did think that they were, that that, that was makeup. That was, I really did until you just said, but like, yeah. um, but like, there was like a super talk, you know, and so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, kind of yeah, horrifying us, yeah. Same thing. If I saw this, I, I mean, I saw this later in life for the first time, but if I had seen this when I was 16, I'd been like, fuck yeah! Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome! I'm sorry, that would be the 80s. I'd be like, that's radical! <laughs> exactly. Do you have but, new, um, yeah. classic so that's that. One? So, I mean, that's the end of the movie. It, uh, does she make the choice? I'm not saying. Because I think, I don't know what you guys think, I think this is a great little movie. I... I, I... I think it's a fantastic movie, right? So <clears throat> you're allowed to disagree with me, by the way. No, no, no. I, I, I completely agree. The Sentinel is such a good movie, and it it suffers from not in a bad way being contemporary with Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, right? And then uh-huh. and then and then rapidly followed on by The Omen. What I think yeah. is distinct and interesting about The Sentinel, which it shares with Rosemary's Baby, but in a very different way, is that, and, and Patrick, you may feel differently, but what I think is interesting about The Sentinel is that it is a movie about space, about a particular place, right? So yeah. I, I think what it shares with Rosemary's Baby is... Huh. It's so uniquely New York. Like, only yes. here, only here do you have, you know, uh, Rosemary's Baby is a classic six, and, you know, this movie is slightly smaller, but only in New York City do you have 1,200 square feet be the most important locus of activity in the world. And yeah. I think that. Both of these movies do a, a fantastic job of saying, in tiny little space, crazy shit goes down. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? I mean, if you don't, if you don't believe it or you don't acknowledge it, that doesn't matter one iota because it does. this, this is, in, in both those movies, this is a genuine pathway to hell. <laughs> and, and I think that, and I, and I think what's what's great about the Sentinel, which is infinitely less famous than Rosemary's Baby, is yes. that both of them are classic fucking seventies movies. You you watch these and you see something that none of us listening to this podcast today can walk out on the street and see right now, and no. it's amazing to take part in it. Yeah, okay. Good answer. And I think that The Sentinel uh, is super fun to watch because there's 450,000 famous actors in it. And it's the poorly acted. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Oh, Okay, so Allison. Let's talk about Allison. What is her? What is her? Uh, her name is Christina Raines. What else was she in? I have no idea. She Claude Rains. And I don't have IMDb like up, so I cannot like, look it up. You know, and uh, uh, 
uh, went to science fiction double feature. What, how did, uh, um, Claude Rains was the invisible yeah. oh. man. That would be Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, sorry. Rocky Horror. So, Claude Rains, is she, like, maybe related? <laughs> I Maybe thought, I don't know. I don't know unless they just blew all their money and all these cameos. <laughs> like, oh shit, we forgot to hire a lead actress. Oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. But I, just I yeah. think it's just my own beef with the movie. Mess. It's a beautiful mess. Okay, like, I'll accept that. I mean, there those there's a 1970s pacing issue from the modern standpoint. A lot of time is spent on. Chris Sarandon's Some Mystery, and like Christina Raines drops that movie for a very long time, and we needed some scares going on and less mystery. And after a while, these celebrity appearances get boggy. Like you said, Martin Balsam, there's a few others, like, and they're popping up, and then we're going to have a 10 minute scene with them just so they get their day pay or whatever they got, you know, as a day player or whatever. And it's not, because they go to Martin Balsam, he's a professor of Latin. And of course, this is the days before Google. You know, uh, she has a vision and she sees a Latin phrase, and Christopher Sarandon wants it translated. So he has to take it all the way to the university instead of just calling this guy on the phone and doing it in 30 seconds. And it winds up being a 10 minute scene. This is where the movie bogs down. There's a lot of this. It's like we have to get these people a reason to be here and, you know, whatever. And that's a problem. But when it's scary, it's really scary. I agree. And also, um, what's the cat's name? Jezebel. Is it Je- Yeah, Jezebel. Okay. And black and white cat cake. What's that? Black question? and white cat. Black and white. Yes, black and white cat cake. Uh huh. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, what is it? Black and white cat. Black and white cake. Black and white cat. Black and white cake. What? Stop is- talking now. <laughs> <laughs> Where well, are you? <laughs> I, I want to know the metaphor of this. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was just something. I, I really don't know. I just want to know, is the bird also a convicted murderer? Uh, totally. The bird is a demon. I think totally. Okay, I think totally well, both that cat really and that bird were executed for murder. The bird really took it later. Yes. Jezebel took that bird out. and like. Not I think that bird was actually from the movie The Birds. Like, yes. real, totally. He was the instigating bird. He was the one to say, hey, birds, let's get together and peck out people's eyes. And they were all like, chirp. And they went it. And they, the original angry bird. Okay, Michael and Libby Collins. It's been tons of fun. We have to wrap this up. Libby, do you have any projects that you need to plug or would like to plug? Things you're working on? Gee, what am I working on? Now? Or if somebody's, if somebody's like looking for a New York, New York City apartment, how do they find you? One thing that I'm working on uh, right now, which is a weekly webisode, yeah, it's um, New York Libby. So it's uh, NYC dot, no, sorry, NYL dot NYC. So New York Libby, which is NYL dot NYC. And it's me going around the city and finding spaces and particular neighborhoods and uh, history in the city. And the best part about it is it's usually less than one minute to watch. <laughs> but it's all so about you go around, so you go around, so what you go around cities looking for the new gate to help. Exactly. Yeah, that old one, that old one, the neighborhood changed to gentrified. It's not cool anymore. Okay, guys, this has been tons of fun. We gotta wrap this up. And I just want to say, at Burgess Meredith said. <laughs> <laughs>
friendship. That was not what he said. Take two. I'm not even drinking. Friendships can blossom into bliss. Friendships can blossom into bliss. Or guest out. Or or, or guest slots on a podcast. Good night, guys. You're fabulous. this episode up for another time i want to thank everybody who has called in to tell me about your halloween experiences about your haunted house attractions that you went to whatever cool thing you did this or any other halloween season i'm gonna be doing a very special episode on that next time after the fatigue and shell shock of the marathon and all the extra episodes this special halloween month has worn off on my end and when i mean my end i mean my ass So if you've got a story that you want to tell me about what happened this Halloween season or whatever Halloween season, whatever cool, spooky thing happened that you went or saw or did or had happened to you or whatever, you pick up your phone and you give me a call at 917-720-2047. If the story is longer than three minutes, you will get cut off. But by all means, if you get cut off, call back, finish that story. Or if you don't want to be cut off and make fun of, then... You can make me an MP3 and send it to the email at crew at screamqueens.com. And as always, that's Queens with a Z. You can find me on Facebook by doing a search on Scream Queens Horror Podcast, and you can join in all the fun and excitement there. You can follow me at Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at no tiara for you and also at Scream Queens. And if you have enjoyed the Halloween Marathon episodes, if you've enjoyed all the extra content that you got this month and you want to give back to the show, please head on over to the webpage www.screamqueens.com. Hit the donate button and help support things that way because that would be super cool. I think that's all I got to say for this time. So everybody enjoy what's left of Halloween. Keep it safe. Keep it spooky. Be good to the trick-or-treaters because they're going to grow up to be us someday. Oh, yeah, they will. And continue to keep the world a creepier place, especially on Halloween, kitties. And remember, the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel, baby. Boo! That was my spooky Halloween ghost. You're fucking terrified, aren't you? Yeah. Bye! I go hunting for witches Heads up, go, we should roll 
Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>